I'm sitting on my little chair next to him at night. At eight, I say, Vasinka, I'm going for a little walk. He opens his eyes and closes them and lets me go. I just walk to the dorm, go up to my room, lie down on the floor. I couldn't lie on the bed. Everything hurt too much. When already the cleaning lady is knocking. Go, run to him. He's calling for you like mad. That morning, Tanya Kibanok pleaded with me. Come to the cemetery. I can't go there alone. They were burying Vitya Kibanok and Vladya Pravik. They were friends of my Vasya. Our families are friends. There's a photo of us all in the building the day before the explosion. Our husbands are so handsome and happy. It was the last day of that life. We were all so happy. I came back from the cemetery and called the nurse's post right away. How is he? He died 15 minutes ago. Quote from Lyudmila Ignatink, wife of firefighter killed at Chernobyl. Welcome to Destination Terror, your passport to the scariest places in the world. From haunted hotels to locations of unexplained creature sightings, we will travel to places that will provide excitement, adventure, and horror. Today we are discussing Chernobyl, location of the world's worst nuclear disaster to date. So if you are into travel and all things scary, listen close and you might just discover your next exciting adventure destination, but hopefully not your final destination. Destination Terror is an EerieCast original podcast hosted by me, Carmen Carrion. If you would like to send us a suggestion or submit a story with your own experience, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter at Carmen Carrion. If you enjoy the show, please follow and rate Destination Terror on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to help us grow. Also, check out EerieCast.com for more scary podcasts such as Tales from the Break Room, featuring allegedly true and terrifying stories that happened on the job. Alex had been waiting on a trip like this her whole life. At least, that's the way it felt to her. It was like everything she was passionate about and loved was finally coming together. Vindicating the hours she had spent learning everything she could about historical events. Every fact, every small detail had to be known to her. To Alex, it was like going on an adventure with everything she learned. This, coupled with her love of photography, made a perfect match. And now it would all come together. Alex was finished with college and wanted to take a small break before continuing in the responsible world. Her friend Robert had been telling her about going to Ukraine in the fall. He had family there and would be spending two weeks to visit and take in the sights. After a lot of begging and pleading, he had finally agreed to let her come with him. She had never been out of the U.S. before, and this might be her only chance. There was another adventure that she longed for as well. Robert's family they would be staying with lived only a few hours from Chernobyl. This was a historical event that Alex had seen on TV and had read about. It would be a perfect opportunity to practice her photography with the ghost town that was left. Plenty of things to see and take great pictures of. So the day came and Alex and Rob boarded their flight. As the plane took off, Alex could only dream of what she would see once landed. 
She tried to sleep during the flight to help the time pass, but was way too excited for that. So all she could do is sit and wait. This made the minutes feel like hours. But finally, after practicing some patience, they were landing. Once off the plane, she was walking so fast that it felt like she was running to get to the gate. Just being in the airport had her ready to begin exploring right away. She excitedly began to ask questions. She wanted to get coffee and go check out the shops. But Rob stopped her. He reminded her that his family would be waiting on them and that it was a long trip and he was tired. Rob told her that there would be plenty of time for her to see everything, but at the moment, they needed to leave and get some rest. Alex reluctantly agreed, though it was only to be polite. Deep down inside, she felt like a child who had to wait on opening Christmas presents. She had kind of always thought Rob was a little boring, but right now, none of that mattered. She was there and would get to see it all one way or another. Once they left the baggage claim and walked outside, Rob pointed out a van sitting out front. The air was much cooler than Alex could have expected, so she forced herself to walk quickly to the van. Rob grabbed her bags and threw them in the back with his own. She jumped in the back of the van while Rob got in the passenger seat. Alex let out a burr, along with, gosh, it's chilly out there. The driver of the van was a young girl. She looked in the rearview mirror and gave Alex an almost hateful look when she made that statement. The girl began speaking in Russian to Rob, to which he fluently responded. Alex, feeling a little awkward, asked Rob if everything was okay. He looked back and assured her that everything was fine. He introduced Alex to the young female driver and said she is his cousin, Lena. Lena gave a quick smile and said, it's nice to meet you. Alex returned the sentiment. Rob explained that he hadn't told anyone he would be bringing a friend, so the animosity would be his. Alex became angry, asked him how he could drag her that far from home uninvited into someone else's house. He told her, You wouldn't stop begging me. I knew that if I asked, they would say no. So I just didn't tell them. Now we'll just have to make the best of it. At this point, Alex was outraged and embarrassed. She asked Lena if she could drop her at a hotel. Rob, getting frustrated, told her, I will not leave you at a hotel in a foreign country by yourself. Everything will be fine. But Alex insisted. Lena smiled and said she would be glad to drop her anywhere. With that, Alex knew it was the best decision. At the time, she was so angry with Rob that she just wanted to be as far away from him as possible. Soon they pulled into a parking lot of a hotel. It wasn't a horrible-looking place like Alex had imagined. It actually looked kind of nice. At least clean, anyway. As soon as the van stopped, she got out and grabbed her bags. Rob followed close behind her, begging her to get back in. Alex told him to just leave. She said that she didn't want to speak to him and would find her way back to the airport. He followed her inside and helped her book a room. She had to let him help since she didn't speak Russian. It certainly made the process easier. Once she was checked in, she stormed away to her room, leaving Rob in the lobby. Inside her room, she threw her bags down and began to cry. She wouldn't be able to afford the tour of Chernobyl now, or be able to see much else. She started to make the phone call to change her flights back home. That's when she had an idea. If she could get close enough to it, 
she could sneak a quick peek and take some photos before she left. That night, her excitement was reinvigorated. It felt more like an adventure now than ever. She would Uber to the nearest place she could and hike from there. As long as she walked through the woods, most people wouldn't see her. Alex made her Uber reservations for early the next morning and drifted off to sleep. The next morning, she awoke and got her things ready. A camera, some drinks and snacks, and a few other odds and ends. The Uber pulled in right on time, and she crawled in the back seat. The drive took a little bit, so she nervously played with her phone, trying to see if she could get at least a rough idea of how she might get there on foot undetected. Radiation was a concern, but she would stay on the outskirts. No reason to be foolish enough to get sick. Once she had arrived at the small shop that she had requested to go to, she tipped the driver and stood outside the front door. Alex had no idea what the shop was for and didn't care. She waited till she didn't see anyone and started making her way towards the forest behind it. Once she slipped past the bushes just in front of the tree line, she was in. Scared and shaky, Alex made sure she had her compass and began walking quickly in the direction she believed her destination to be in. At times, she would come across very thick, thorny bushes that would grab at her pants and make it very hard to traverse around. Even though it was cold, she hadn't thought much of it. Her adrenaline was pumping too hard to think of being cold. But now, the adrenaline was starting to wane, and she began feeling exhausted. It had been a few hours and Alex hadn't seen anything, except for a utility road and what looked like some old farms. She started thinking maybe she had made a bad decision. She sat down and got a drink of water, pulling her arms in close to herself to try to keep warm. Thinking for a few minutes, Alex decided it was time to go back and go home. She got up and started walking back the way she came, checking her compass occasionally to stay on track. She cursed herself in her mind for being so foolish. The realization of how dangerous this could be was just starting to set in. That's when she heard something very strange. It sounded like a dog growling, but with a gurgling sound as well. Like some kind of fluid was in its lungs. The sound made all the hair on her arms stand up at once. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you albeit in a more light-hearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Mother's Day is almost here, 
and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. In 1986, the entire world watched and held its breath as a nuclear reactor melted down at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant in what is now thought to be the worst nuclear disaster in history. The Chernobyl nuclear power plant began construction in 1970 in a remote region near Ukraine's swamp-filled northern border nine miles northwest of the small town of Chernobyl. Chernobyl is located in northern Ukraine, about 80 miles north of Kiev. A small town, Pripyat, was constructed a few miles from the site of the nuclear power plant to accommodate workers and their families. Construction of the Chernobyl power plant began in 1977, when the country was still part of the Soviet Union. By 1983, four reactors had been completed and the addition of two more reactors was planned in subsequent years. It was the first nuclear power station ever to be built in the country and was considered to be the Soviet Union's best and most reliable facility. A routine exercise to test whether an emergency water cooling system would work during a power loss started at 1.23 a.m. on April 26. Within seconds, an uncontrolled reaction caused pressure to build up in reactor number four in the form of steam. The steam blasted the roof off the reactor, releasing plumes of radiation and chunks of burning radioactive debris. About two to three seconds later, a second explosion hurled out additional fuel. A fire started at the roof of reactor number three, risking a breach of the facility. Automatic safety systems that would normally have kicked into action did not because they had been shut down prior to the test. Emergency crews responding to the accident used helicopters to pour sand and boron on the reactor debris. The sand was to stop the fire and additional releases of radioactive material. The boron was to prevent additional nuclear reactions. Eyewitness accounts of the firefighters who had helped battle the fires described the radiation as tasting like metal and feeling pain like pins and needles in their faces, according to the CBC documentary series Witness. Days later, many of those firefighters would be dead. By the afternoon of April 26th, the Soviet government had mobilized troops to help fight the blaze. Some were dropped at the rooftop of the reactor to furiously shovel debris off the facility and spray water on the exposed reactor to keep it cool. The workers were picked up within seconds to minimize the radiation exposure. It would take nearly two weeks to extinguish all the fires using sand, lead, and nitrogen. Meanwhile, Life went on as usual for almost a day in the neighboring town of Pripyat. Aside from the sight of trucks cleaning the streets with foam, there were initially few signs of the disaster unfolding just miles away. It wasn't until the next day, April 27th, 
when the government began evacuations of Pripyat's 50,000 residents. Residents were told they would be away for just a few days, so they took very little with them. Most would never return to their homes. It took days for Soviet leadership to inform the international community that the disaster had occurred. The Soviet government made no official statement about the global-scale accident until Swedish leaders demanded an explanation. When operators of a nuclear power plant in Stockholm registered unusually high radiation levels near their plant. Finally, on April 28th, the Kremlin reported that there had been an accident at Chernobyl and that authorities were handling it. The statement was followed by a state broadcast detailing the U.S. nuclear accidents at Three Mile Island and other nuclear incidents in Western countries. Three days later, Soviet May Day parades to celebrate workers went ahead as usual in Moscow, Kiev, and Belarus's capital, Minsk. Even as hazardous amounts of radiation were still streaming from the wrecked power plant. Most people, even within the Ukraine, were still unaware of the accident, the deaths, and the hasty evacuations of Pripyat. The damaged plant released a large quantity of radioactive substances, including iodine-131, cesium-137, plutonium and strontium-90, into the air for over a period of 10 days. The radioactive cloud was deposited nearby as dust and debris but was also carried by wind over the Ukraine, Belarus, Russia, Scandinavia, and other parts of Europe. In an attempt to contain the fallout on May 14th, Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev ordered the dispatch of hundreds of thousands of people, including firefighters, military reservants, and miners, to the site to aid in cleanup. The Corps worked steadily, often with inadequate protective gear, through 1989 to clear debris and contain the disaster. A few weeks after the accident, the crews completely covered the damaged unit in a temporary concrete structure called the sarcophagus to limit further release of radioactive material. The erection of the sarcophagus took 206 days. Yaroslav Melnik told the BBC in January 2017, We worked in three shifts, but only for five to seven minutes at a time because of the danger. After finishing, we'd throw our clothes in the garbage. The Soviet government also cut down and buried about a square mile of pine forest near the plant to reduce radioactive contamination at and near the site. Chernobyl's three other reactors were subsequently restarted, but all eventually shut down for good, with the last reactor closing in December 2000. Starting in 2010, an international consortium organized the building of a bigger, more secure sarcophagus for the site. The 35,000-ton new safe confinement was built on tracks and then slid over the damaged reactor and existing sarcophagus in November 2016. After the installation of the new structure, radiation near the plant dropped to just one-tenth of previous levels, according to official figures. The structure was designed to contain the radioactive debris for 100 years. Deep within the basement of Reactor 4 lies the Chernobyl Elephant's Foot. A huge mass of melted concrete, sand, and highly radioactive nuclear fuel. The mass was named for its wrinkled appearance, which reminded some observers of the wrinkled skin of an elephant's foot. In the 1980s, the elephant's foot gave off an estimated 10,000 rungans of radiation each hour, enough to kill a person three feet away in less than two minutes. By 2001, that rate had dropped to roughly 800 rungans per hour. 
Ukraine's government declared in 1995 that 125,000 people had died from the effects of Chernobyl radiation. A 2005 report from the United Nations Chernobyl Forum estimated that while fewer than 50 people were killed in the months following the accident, up to 9,000 people could eventually die from excess cancer deaths linked to radiation exposure from Chernobyl. As of 2005, according to the Union of Concerned Scientists, some 6,000 thyroid cancers and 15 thyroid cancer deaths had been attributed to Chernobyl. Health effects from the Chernobyl disaster remain unclear, apart from the initial 30 people the Soviet government confirmed killed from the explosion and acute radiation exposure. No official government studies were conducted following the explosion to assess its effects on workers, the liquidators, and nearby populations. A 2011 study by the U.S. National Institutes of Health concluded that exposure to radioactive iodine-131 from Chernobyl fallout was likely responsible for thyroid cancers that were still being reported among people who were children or adolescents at the time of the accident. Apart from the ever-unfolding human toll from the disaster, the Chernobyl accident has left behind a huge area of radiation-tainted land. Many reports of deformed and strange beasts near Chernobyl can be found all over the internet, indicating that radiation had severe effects on the animal population. To be sure, some severe mutations were seen right after the accident. Meanwhile, a report was released that claimed otherwise, that wildlife including boars, wolves, beavers, and bison showed signs of flourishing at the Chernobyl site, according to the April 2016 study. The researchers pointed out that while radiation exposure couldn't be good for the animals, the benefits of the absence of humans outweighed radiation risk. Humans, on the other hand, aren't expected to repopulate the area anytime soon. Ukrainian authorities have said it will not be safe for people to live in the Chernobyl exclusion zone for more than 24,000 years. Today, tourists can visit the site, which appears frozen in time, apart from signs of looting, natural weathering, and the encroachment of nature. Despite the chilling events which occurred at Chernobyl and Pripyat in 1986, many travelers visit the area each year. Today, Chernobyl is a ghost town, with only a few thousand souls brave enough to continue to live in the affected areas, which still suffer from extensive levels of radiation. But it's this very spookiness that has drawn some travelers to Ukraine to witness its breathtaking desolation. But now that people want to go back to Chernobyl to see what has been left behind, and considering the dangers posed by the fallout, is it really worth the risk? To enter the 18.6-mile exclusion zone, you will need a day pass, which is only available from certain established tour operators, and you must apply at least 10 days in advance. Basically, to go into the exclusion zone without either a tour operator or a qualified nuclear fallout expert with your own safety and monitoring equipment is plain crazy. The environment in relation to radiation levels in certain areas is extremely dynamic, and without proper measurement, you could be exposing yourself to harmful levels. Certain areas, including the Machine Cemetery of Rosica Village, are restricted. Obviously, areas marked as radioactive or forbidden entry zones are exactly that. You should stay well away from them, unless you wish to end up another Chernobyl statistic. There are checkpoints within the zone where you will need to show your passport and permit. The amount of radiation you're being exposed to that may affect your health is measured in sieverts. A lethal dose of radiation is in the vicinity of 3 to 5 sieverts in an hour. 
During a Chernobyl tour, the levels of exposure can range from 130 to 2,610 microsieverts per hour. That is at least 1,000 times less than the potentially lethal level. This exposure is similar to the radiation we would be exposed to on a long-haul flight. If you are not on a tour where there is professional monitoring equipment, it's impossible to gauge how much radiation you're being exposed to. Exposure to higher levels of radiation puts you at a higher risk of particles remaining on your clothes. Sustained exposure to radiation is the greatest cause of contamination. Be mindful that many of the abandoned buildings are littered with broken glass and debris, and the floor surfaces can be highly unstable. Make sure you wear protective clothing and closed-in shoes. Keep bare skin to a minimum. To prevent carrying articles of contaminated material with you for a long period, Wear disposable coveralls or dispose of your clothing after you leave the site. Make sure you thoroughly clean your shoes. Visiting Chernobyl and taking a tour of the Chernobyl Exclusion Zone is said to be a completely unique experience. Traveling there provides you with the opportunity to walk around abandoned towns and villages within the Exclusion Zone and witness the impact of the worst nuclear disaster in human history. But don't wander off alone and follow the rules because who knows what is lurking in the restricted areas of Chernobyl. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Alex knew the sound was coming from behind her. She reached slowly for a stick that was lying next to her. The growling sound became more intense with every movement. She picked up the stick and whipped it around quickly, only to find that nothing was there. The sound had stopped. She shook off the fear and said out loud, to hell with this, as she started jogging back towards civilization. While she was running, she could have sworn at times she could hear something running behind her. It was hard to decide where it might be coming from, or if it was really even there. It was around this time that she saw one of the barns she had passed coming in. Cold and hungry, she had to stop. Alex pushed the door open and went inside hoping there might be some old farm implements or something that might be used as a weapon. But her hopes were crushed. Nothing but trash. Almost as if someone had used it as a dumpster. Alex quickly ate her protein bar and checked her compass once more. The thought came to her that she would need a ride when she got back to the shop. Then she dropped her compass when she heard something scraping down the walls of the old tin building. Not like a tree limb but more like an intentional clawing. Alex shuddered, hoping the sound would offer up a harmless logical explanation, though only the gurgling growl she had heard once before came through. Frozen with fear, 
Alex tried to be just as quiet as possible. This growling sounded ominous with anger or hunger, the kind of sound no one wants to hear when they are alone in the woods. Suddenly it stopped again. She waited a few minutes and went for it. She ran, hitting the door with her shoulder, and took off in a violent sprint. But this time, she got a glimpse of what was after her. It ran on all four legs and moved quickly. The creature looked to have large, fleshy knots under its neck. Its face could have almost been humanoid. The arms looked powerful like a gorilla, though having claws at the tips of its fingers. But the teeth, the teeth were mostly human-looking. As Alex ran, she kept tripping and falling over her own feet. She was running too hard to maintain her balance. Finally, she stopped and looked behind her. She didn't see or hear anything. So she checked herself to make sure she didn't have any serious injuries. She realized she had left her phone and compass at the barn. Going back would not be an option. She had no idea which direction she had ran in. Just as she put her hand to her face and began crying, she felt a large, cold hand wrap around her throat. The hand squeezed tight and then drug her to the ground and off into the woods. The creature stepped back and flung her into a tree. Alex felt and heard her bones crack when she made contact with the bark. She slid down the tree and landed on the ground. The creature quickly grabbed her again and put her face, nose to nose, with its own. Alex was begging for the monster not to hurt her. It acted like it knew she was hurt and could not move. And then it made a noise almost like a human talking, but with the raspy gurgling she had heard before. The beast relaxed its grip, and that's when she jammed a stick directly in its ear. It let out a horrifying scream and began flailing its arms around and beating the ground. Using her chance, she began trying to run. Her legs were fine, but it felt like she couldn't breathe. Air would not go into her lungs, and with every attempt, it felt like someone was stabbing knives into her sides. Alex began to cough and noticed blood was coming up. Her throat felt like it had razors in it. She knew then that the creature had seriously damaged her neck. Falling over from pain and lack of oxygen, Alex waited. She knew her wounds would be too extensive to survive. Maybe giving in and letting this creature have her would be the easier way to go. She began crying once more and waited to feel the creature's hands again. She hoped that it would be quick. But after a while, the attack had not come yet. Alex thought, wouldn't that be her luck? To get mauled by a mutant creature, but not finished off, left there to suffer? She grabbed a large stick and began dragging herself along slowly. Unsure why she was even trying, it seemed better than laying still. As she dragged herself along, it was starting to get dark. Soon, it would probably be over. Once the dark had set in, she would most likely freeze with the amount of blood loss she had experienced. Then she saw a sign. It was in Russian, but Alex knew what it said. The sign read Chernobyl, with a large radiation sign above it. It was almost laughable now, but there was some strange hope in actually being there. Alex sat down thinking someone might see her there soon. 
Maybe she could be rescued, and a year from now it would be an experience that she learned from. She saw some lights in the distance and began waving her arms, trying to yell to the point of spitting up more blood. Then she felt something grab her leg. It jerked her quickly to the ground, and she felt its dull, human-like teeth pierce her face. Thank you for joining me to explore Chernobyl. Tune in next week as we discuss another exciting and terrifying adventure destination. I'm Carmen Carrion. Remember, you can send me suggestions and stories of haunted places to my email, carmencarrion at gmail.com, or follow me on Twitter at Carmen Carrion. Be sure to check out EerieCast.com for more terrifying podcasts. Until next time, stay safe out there until I see you at our next destination.